Welcome to Evangel Church. Our mission is to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com. Lord Jesus, we thank you today for your goodness, and we thank you, Lord, that you are on your throne. Lord, on this day, Lord, a day that is just filled with uh, excitement, anticipation, Lord God, um, a, a looking forward to the great things that you are going to do inside of each life, Lord God, I pray that you would speak to us from your word above all. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, just as we have felt your presence here among us today, that we would continue to feel your presence leading and guiding uh, every life and every heart. Lord, we pray now, Lord, I pray for the, the conclusion of this message, Lord God, for the decisions that are going to be made, that, Lord God, there would be decisions made to move from death to life that there would be made, decisions made to move, Lord, from the new life they have in you to publicly declaring that through baptism, Lord God. Lord, we give you this day, Lord God. We give you this word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together. We pray you'd meet us in a special way. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Maria. Maria and Chris are, uh, are going to help us here. They're going to unveil what our game for this, this uh, week is for our games of life. We're in a series of messages, and they're entitled The Games of Life. And what we're doing is each week we're taking a look at a board game that you remember from your childhood and that I remember from my childhood, and we're looking at it through the lens of God's Word, and we're learning some principles about God's Word and about life as you and I live it. And so we're calling it The Games of Life. Uh, so this week we're going to be looking at the game Monopoly, and there are a few games that I remember playing as a child more than Monopoly. It was one of my favorites. I played it all the time. Is there anyone else that Monopoly was at the top of your game list for best games that you'd play growing up? I can remember some of my fondest memories happened around the Monopoly board. I remember some of my biggest fights as a child and most he heated contests in a game was around this same board as well. Monopoly is a fun game to play. Uh, and I believe it teaches us a lot about the life that we live. If you look at the game Monopoly, if you've never played it before, you start out with some, uh, with some money. You start out with a little uh, icon. So I, I'd like to be the car, or sometimes I like to be the dog. I don't know about you. Uh, but you'd go around the board, and as you go around the board, you'd land on different properties. Those properties each have a dollar amount associated with them. If you had enough money to purchase that property, then you had a monopoly on that property. If you could purchase all the same color um, properties, then you owned it all and you could start to build houses or hotels on it. It was pretty exciting. In fact, I still carry around some of my monopoly money with me just today so I could feel rich. I have about 10000 on me right now, so come see me after service. Uh, but we go around the board and, I'd, and you could buy any property and own it. And it was all about the strategy on how you were going to win the game. Because it was all about taking control. The word monopoly is literally defined as this. To have exclusive control. Let's put it up here on the board here. You'll, you'll get to see it on the, uh, on the screen. To have exclusive possession or control of something. To have a monopoly on something means that you have exclusive possession or control of it. So when you played the game Monopoly growing up, you knew what that was all about. If you landed on that place, if you landed on St. James Place, you took complete control of it if you had enough to buy it. It's a game of control. It's a game of ownership. It's a game of having it all and being in control of everything. Because when you own that property and someone lands on it, then they have to pay you. 
when you own it and then you're in control of it, then when everyone comes by, they're playing by your rules. They're doing exactly what you would have them to do. Now, I know there's some of you who are like me in the room. All I cared about were these two places, Boardwalk and Park Place. That's all I wanted. I wanted to own them, then I wanted to build them up, and I wanted that when someone landed on it, they would just go bankrupt in one turn. You know what I'm talking about, right? Anyone else with me? Yes, you know exactly what I'm talking about because it's about controlling the best places. And each of these are compartmentalized from the lowest to the greatest. And you want to have control of what's most important. And so we learn a lot about life because I think we grow up learning and living by those same principles that make something like Monopoly so much fun to play. You know why? Because life is conditioned that way. It's segmented out and we want to take control of every place, every space in our life. We want to have ownership. We want to have the Monopoly on it. Well, Monopoly also turns into a game of chance at times because as you roll the dice, you can pick up one of these cards when you, live on when you land on chance or community chest. I know, for me, I loved winning second place in the beauty pri uh, contest, right? Ten bucks. Uh, I, I, that was always fun, or you'd win or get some tax break, whatever it was. But there's one card you never wanted to get. You know what I'm talking about. This card right here. Go to jail. Go directly to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. That was the worst. Because when you're in jail, you're out of control. You lose control. You don't have control. This game, Monopoly, is so popular that even the fast food chain, McDonald's, picks up on it every single year. They're playing, I think right now, there's the Monopoly game happening at McDonald's. And so for some, that's the excuse to buy a Big Mac or fries or whatever the case is. But even in the, the, the fast food industry, you learn the same principles of Monopoly, that if you want to get the better uh, chance to win, you have to buy the bigger drinks, the bigger fries, the bigger whatever it is, so you have more of a chance. So even in the game of Monopoly at a fast food chain, you see how it's pushing towards more, more, more control. So as we go in, around the board of Monopoly, and I think about this idea of being in prison, being out of control, it's the only space on the whole board that's the opposite of the game. In the whole game, the goal is control. It's in prison that you feel like you've lost complete control. There are going to be circumstances that happen in our life where we feel like we don't have control anymore where we feel like the outcomes that are in front of us are out of our own hands. Maybe it's a diagnosis. Maybe you're going through a trial or a difficulty, whatever it is. There are times in life when we are trying in every way to control every outcome that we are in a place where we are out of control completely. Maybe it's a place of hopelessness. Maybe it's a place that you don't know where else to turn. Well, as we go to God's word today in Acts chapter 16, we find that these two men named Paul and Silas, they're in a situation where they're out of control. Do you know what happened to them? They got dealt a go-to-jail card. Go directly to jail. Don't pass go. In fact, get a beating along the way. Look what it says in Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 22. As you turn there and as you're looking for that passage, um, I want to remind you that the reason why they're in this situation is because they've been sharing the good news. The Bible said that they went around everywhere they went and they were sharing the good news. Do you know what the good news is? The good news is that Jesus came. The Son of God was born into this world. He lived a sinless life. And then he died on a cross, a sinner's death. But the good news is that on the third day he rose again. The grave is empty. And today, if you believe in the power of his name, there could be forgiveness. There can be uh, everlasting life. There could be a hope of eternity. How many know today that's good news? 
Jesus is the good news. And they went around telling people about that good news. I don't know about you, every time I open a newspaper or turn on the television, there isn't much good news. But every time you turn to God, there's always good news because of Jesus and what he's done for you in your life. And so who wouldn't want to share that? Paul and Silas, that was their life's uh, occupation. It was everything to them to go around and share that good news. But that good news was met with resistance. It was met with trouble and difficulty. And because of them sharing the good news, they found themselves going to prison. Look what it says in Acts chapter 16, verse 22. It says, the crowd, the crowd in Philippi, rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had struck them with many blows, look what it says here, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And so this jailer, being told to guard them securely, this is what he did in verse 24, he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison, the most secure part of the prison, and he fastened their feet in the stocks. So follow me here. These men are going around sharing the good news about Jesus and about what he has done and about how there's forgiveness in his name and what they get repaid for. All their efforts is that they're taken, they're beaten with rods. It says they were beaten severely, many blows, and then they were taken, thrown into prison, taken to the deepest, darkest part of the prison, down almost like into caverns, in dungeon. Think about a dungeon. That's where they're placed. And then their feet are secured in stocks, which holds them in a very uncomfortable position. And so these two men, Paul and Silas, find themselves in this kind of situation. It was completely hopeless. It was a time where they were completely out of control just like the other men that were in the prison. Could you imagine with me what it would have been like in that day, in that age, to be in prison, to go through that kind of beating, that kind of torture, that kind of mistreatment, and then placed in prison. You're feeling hopeless. You're not around the people that you love. You're not around the people that care for you. Guess what? You don't have a phone that you could pick up and call anyone. You're there. And this man who's a jailer, he would have been an ex-Roman soldier. And we know from history that Roman soldiers were not polite. Table manners and etiquette were not at the forefront of, of what they did. They were trained killers. They did everything they could to protect Rome. And this jailer, this man here, he was the one who was in complete control over this prison and over all of these prisoners. And so these men could have felt hopeless. Could you imagine with me if you would have had an ability to listen, to walk the halls of that prison and to hear people crying out and to hear people speaking hopeless, to hear people yelling in anger, to hear people trying to plead their innocence, people doing anything they could. Could you imagine the cries, the hopeless rantings of people as they're reaching the end of their lives? They don't know what to do and they don't know where to turn. But on this evening, as these men have been arrested, there's a different sound that's echoing through the hallways. There's a different sound that's emanating from a prison cell. It's a sound that they're unfamiliar with. It's a sound that they've not heard. It's a sound that doesn't make any sense to be produced in that kind of situation. It's a different sound, and it's coming from the mouths of Paul and Silas. Look with me here in Acts chapter 16, verse 25. It says, but at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying 
and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. These men, who have found themselves in a hopeless situation, who have just been brutally beaten, feet placed in stocks, they don't hear wailing, weeping, or crying coming from their prison cell. They hear prayers in hymns of praise to God. Now, these are not songs of lament, songs that are singing, God, I'm in such a bad place. Come and rescue me. Lord, how could you have done this to me? My God, why have you forsaken me? Those aren't the kind of songs they're singing. They're songs like we were singing today about the power of the name of Jesus. They're songs that would lift up and praise God. They were singing praises to God in the midst of their hopeless circumstances. This teaches us something. You know why all the prisoners were listening to them? Because they didn't know what was going on. Why would they be praising God for what they're going through? There are circumstances that we will be faced with. And I want you to know in the same way as they did, you will have the ability to praise God when you have no reason to praise anything. There are times that are meant for despair and hopelessness that because of what Jesus Christ can do in your life, it can turn it around for praise. And for these men, they showed firsthand that their joy would not be defined by their circumstances anymore. Their joy and their peace would not be defined by the things that were going on around them, but it was something that had changed within them, had now changed their peace, had given them a deeper peace, had given them a deeper joy, had given them something where in the midst of every trial in this world, they could still praise God and say, he's on his throne, he is good, hallelujah, praise him. And so these prisoners are saying, what has happened to these men that they could sing and praise like this in the midst of these circumstances? Same question you might be asking today. There's an early church father that goes all the way back, almost to the time of Jesus. His name was Tertullian. And Tertullian, he had said something about this passage of Scripture that's powerful. Here's what he said and wrote many years ago. He said, the legs feel nothing in the stalks when the heart is in heaven. The legs feel nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven. And what he's saying there is that what is going on around us and to us is not greater than what has gone on in us, the change that's happened. That no longer is he feel, are they feeling quite the same kind of pain because their heart has a new home. It's in a new place. It's in heaven. And therefore, they can have peace in the midst of this hopeless situation. And so as these men are praising God and as they are not shaken by their circumstances, they're not shaken by what has happened to them. Instead, because of the fact that they're putting God first, there's another shaking that takes place. And it's not them that has become shaken. It's everything around them. The very prison foundations begin to shake, the Bible says. Look what it says in verse 26. It says, suddenly there came about a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. Now there's another message, there's another talk about the freedom that comes through praising God in every circumstance. But here's what we learn, here's what we see. In an instant, the supernatural takes place. As these men are lifting up the name of Jesus, as their eyes are fixed firmly on him, not on what's happening to them and around them, God works a miracle in their midst in the entire prison 
All the doors open, all the chains fall off, the stocks become open, and these men are now free for all intents and purposes. In fact, the jailer's asleep, so they could all leave in an instant. And in a moment, what you should see next in the story is in all the prisoners run wild into the streets. But that's not what the Bible says. In fact, no one moves, no one leaves. I have to believe it's because they're in awe, they're in shock of what has just happened. They're listening to Paul and they're thinking, why are these guys praising God? Why are they singing? An earthquake hits, freedom falls in that place and the men are just standing there, awestruck by what has taken place. But there's a jailer who his job, his charge we saw from earlier in this passage was guard them, secure them, make sure that no one escapes. He put them in the innermost part of the prison because that would guarantee no one's leaving. And something out of his control took all that control away from him. And he wakes up and he is faced with a life-changing, life-ending crisis that he now has on his hands. Verse 27 says, When the jailer awoke, he saw the prison doors open. And the Bible says he drew his sword because he was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. So this man wakes up and his whole charge, his whole duty was to protect prisoners, was to keep them there. Something has now happened that has taken all that control away from this man. And he realizes his only hope, his only way out is to end his life. There are going to be times that maybe someone here, you felt that way, that you were faced with such hopelessness that you just said, I'm just going to end it all. I don't know what else to do. I don't have any hope. You feel like life is over This man was at that point in time. His sword is drawn. It's either right to his chest or right to his throat. And he's ready to end his life because that would be the noble thing to do for a soldier who has failed so miserably at his job. And so this jailer is about to end his life when Paul cries out. There's the voice of someone. It's a voice he had heard before. It's a voice that had been singing and praying and praising God. But he cries out with hope. Here's what he says in verse 28. Paul cried out in a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself for we are all here. This prisoner, this jailer stood there seeing every door open, seeing chains that had fallen down and he feels like his life is over. And in a moment, this man Paul cries out and says, don't don't worry, don't hurt yourself, don't do a thing. We're all here, we're all accounted for. The man doesn't know what to do. He's flabbergasted. Verse 29 says that he called for light and he rushed in. And trembling, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he had brought them out of that prison cell, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? You see, this guy who lived a life where it was all about control, came to a point where his life spun out of control and he wanted to throw it all away. His life was over in every way. And in a moment, these men who he knew there was something different about them call out right before his life is about to end and offer him hope. Say, we haven't gone anywhere. Don't worry. Again, why wouldn't they go anywhere? Why were they singing? Why are they acting the way they're acting? When he falls before them and he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Do you know what he's saying? How can I get whatever you have? 
You have something in you that is different than what I have. You have a hope that I don't know. You have something going on inside your life. I need what you have. Maybe you've looked at someone like that and you've seen them. Before you became a, a Christian, maybe before you started to follow Jesus, you saw something different in them. You say, what is it that they have? Whatever they have, I want. I know people like that, that when they look at them, I can see the love of Christ in them, and I say, I want that. Let me ask you, when people look at your life, when they look at the way that you live and the way that you act, the way that you conduct yourself, do they look at you and do they see Christ in you and say, whatever you have, I want some of that? Or do they say the opposite? Whatever she's having, I want to be far away from it. Whatever's going on there, please, I want none of it. Unfortunately, as believers, we're more known for the things that we're against than what we're for. But when people look at us, they're meant to smell the aroma of Christ, the fragrance of him. They're meant to see him and sense him and and recognize him in us and say, I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, I want that. This jailer, that's what he's doing. He's standing there. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And you know what the Bible says? In verse 31, Paul speaks to him and says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. When he asks him this question, here's what it doesn't say. This is what the Bible does not say. He doesn't say, well, you know what? Why don't you come back to my church with me? I have a five-hour seminar. We have two tests. We have an essay portion. We're going to conduct a bunch of interviews, and we'll see if you're worthy of being saved. What he doesn't say, what they don't say, what maybe you and I would say, they would say, you know what you're going to do? You're going to apologize for what you just did to me and my friend. You're going to come. You're going to get some lotion because my feet are all sore from those stalks. You're going to take care of us, and then we'll see about this whole, if you're good enough to be saved. For other people, the main way that we believe, it's, you know what, get your life together, do all the right things, start acting the right way, start modeling the right behaviors, and then you can be saved. Then you'll be good enough to earn your way to God. For some of us, you've been living your life trying to be a good enough person. You haven't entered into a relationship with Jesus because you don't believe you're good enough yet. But here's what the Bible says. What must I do to be saved? It says you're not here to earn it. It's not about your behaviors. It's about do you believe in the Lord Jesus? Do you believe that he came from God? Do you believe that he died for your sins? Do you believe that he rose on the third day? Do you believe that there's forgiveness in his name? Do you believe in him today? Have you put your faith in him today? If you believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. And today, you could say, I have no hope. How can I have that kind of hope? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you can have a hope that no one can take away. How can I have peace? I have no peace in my life. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you can have a peace that surpasses understanding. What must I do to be healed? My life is broken. My heart is torn apart. I don't have anything that I need. Believe in the Lord Jesus and your life can be restored. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, whoever's in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. What must I do to be saved? The man says, believe in the Lord Jesus. I'm so thankful that Jesus doesn't bring us to a point that our behaviors have to be perfect before he can save us. 
but that we believe in the power of his name. And guess what? When he starts to change us, our behaviors start to change, our life starts to change, everything changes. But it starts with Jesus putting our faith in him and what he has done for us. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And it says in verse 32 that he invited them to his home. And then they began to speak the word of God, share about this more and more together with him and all those that were in his house. So this jailer has brought them back to his home and they're just sharing about Christ's love. They're sharing about Jesus and what he said. I can't imagine that they didn't bring up some of the passages of scripture that we remember about this. I mean, I'm reminded of Jesus' teaching in, in Matthew chapter 16. These are the words that Jesus shared with his disciples about life. Here's what he said in verse 24 of Matthew 16. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And then he goes on to say, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake is going to find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but he forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus shared such powerful teachings about this very concept. He said, if anyone's going to follow me, you can't bring your old life. You lay down your old life. You deny yourself. You take up the cross and you follow me. And you follow me into the new life that I have for you. This man was all about controlling, having a monopoly on his life. That jailer reached the end of that road and he realized this. In this life, this life that I've been working so hard to control and make sure that I had everything perfectly together, it's never going to bring me the hope, the peace. It's never going to make me right with God. And what he realized is that if he really wanted to be saved, he could never save himself but that he needed to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He needed to be willing to lose his old life, to lay it down at the, foot of at the feet of Jesus and to take up the new life that the Bible promises to those that believe, those that put their faith in Christ. And when you do that, when you're willing to take that step, you're shedding away the old and you're taking on the new. And it isn't any longer about you having a monopoly of everything. It's not about you controlling. In fact, as you go around the board and you're living the game of life, you're playing it every day, you're walking through your life, your actions, your day-to-day -day activities. Do you know what it's about now? It's not about having control of everything. It's about giving control of everything to Jesus. It's not about having the monopoly. It's about giving that monopoly to him. It's about saying, Lord, you have exclusive possession of my life. You have exclusive possession of my heart. You have exclusive possession of my priorities. Lord, I give you all. That's what we sign up for when we sign up to follow Jesus. This is what Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ, so it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself up for me. That the life we now live is a life that's been crucified. The old life is gone. We now have a life that follows Christ, that lives by faith, by trusting in him every single day. And as that happens, God changes us from the inside out. What the Philippian jailer saw in Paul what he saw in Silas, 
What people see in us when they see Jesus, they see something completely different. They see someone who is handing over their life to Jesus, who is living for Jesus, and it looks completely different. In fact, it's amazing if you go to Philippians chapter 4. This was a letter that was written to the very same people, the Philippians, those in Philippi, those who would have watched and seen with their own eyes as Paul and Silas had been beaten with rods, who would have seen with their own eyes when they were thrown in prison, who would have watched and heard the stories about how the prison doors swung open and how this jailer put his faith in Jesus Christ. Those same people that heard all those things, that saw them with their own eyes, when they received a letter from the Apostle Paul and they were reading that letter, here's what he says in verse 4, or sorry, chapter 4, verse 12. He said this, I know, I've learned a secret. I've learned how to get along with humble means and I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret to being filled or to going hungry, both having abundance or suffering need. You see, Paul said, I could sing praises from a prison cell because I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret to having a lot or having nothing. I've learned that my joy will not be dependent on what I have, but on who I am. And here's what he goes on to say. Here's the secret. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the secret. It's relying on him completely with your life. You'll receive a joy that you've never had before. You'll receive a peace that surpasses understanding. You'll receive an ability to walk through this life differently when Jesus is first, when he has the monopoly on everything about you. So I'm going to ask you this question. Does Jesus have exclusive possession of your life? Does Jesus have a monopoly on you? Have you surrendered your life? Have you given your heart to him? I'm going to invite Eloy and the worship team to come forward. And would you bow your heads and would you bow your hearts with me as I ask you that question? I'm going to ask you today, this is a moment between you and God, where you have to answer that question because you alone know if you're at peace with God this morning. This man who had tried so many other things, who had controlled so much in his life, he got to the end of it. He went through a circumstance that shook him to his core. And he finally had to say, what must I do to be saved? Maybe you've been through that circumstance. You're going through it today or you're about to go through it. Don't let something earth-shattering happen before you start to think about where your relationship with God is and if you're right with him. But today, maybe you've been striving so hard, maybe you've been trying to earn your way to God and you realize for the first time you've heard, this is why it's such good news, is that you don't have to build yourself up to get to him. He came, Jesus came here, he died for you so that you could be forgiven of your sins, so that you can have a brand new life. And what you need to do is exactly what the Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It, the Bible says if you confess Jesus is Lord and you believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
so today, with no one looking around, today's that day that you say, you know what, Pastor, today's the day I've not given Jesus that complete control of my life, and today I'm ready to invite Jesus to come and to forgive me of my sins and be Lord of my life. Today could be a brand new day for you, a brand new day, a brand new life, but it starts with a choice, a choice that I can't make for you, your parents can't make for you, a choice that you have to make before God and God alone. So today, if you want to experience that peace and you want to make Jesus Lord of your life, I want to pray with you. What I'm going to ask you to do with no one looking around is I just want to know that you're out there so that I can pray with you and have you repeat that prayer after me. So with no one looking around, if today's the day, you say, Pastor, today's the day that I'm ready to accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I want to say that prayer. Lift your hand above your head if that's you. Right where you're at, lift it high above your head. Praise God. Is there anyone else? You say, that's you, that you want to say that prayer. Amen. No one's looking around in this moment. It's just a moment between you and the Lord. You alone know if you're in that place and if you have that need. Anyone else, just lift your hand above your head if that's you. If you're watching online, I want you to lift your hand as well before the Lord. He sees you. All right, I want you to repeat after me if you lifted your hand this morning. Today's a day where you've been turning your heart back to him. You know you've let areas of your life slip and you're just getting right with him again. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins that have separated me from you. I believe that you came and that you died and that you rose again for me. I believe in you and I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we praise God with those that made that decision this morning? Our goal here at Evangel we're here to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. And for some, that started today. But here's what we want you to do. We want every person within the sound of my voice taking their next step every time we come together. And so for you today, you went from a place of not believing in Jesus to putting your faith in him. That's a big step. But there's a step for others that have put their faith in Jesus, that are ready to take their next step. And their next step is baptism. And I want you to see what the Bible says about this jailer and what happened in his life. Verse 33 of Acts chapter 16 says this, that he took them that very hour, the jailer of the night, and he washed their wounds. Could you imagine this with me? The man who was before inflicting wounds is now washing wounds. That's the difference that Jesus makes in your life. He turns you around completely. We're hearing stories from the mission field about people, someone who had been a former member of ISIS who has now turned to Jesus. Come on, someone. And God's turned all that they had done for harm and is turning it around. God could take someone whose heart is so far and, and turn it around for good. That's the difference that Jesus makes. And people would now look at this man and say, what happened to you? You used to inflict the wounds. Now you're washing them. Who are you? Jesus has changed my life. And it says this right after that in verse 33. And immediately he was baptized. He and his entire household. And he brought them into his home and he set food in front of them. And they rejoiced having believed in God with his whole household. After you come to believe in Jesus, your next step is being baptized. And I, and I, I want to tell you, we have somehow 
come to believe that we need to wait for some other thing before we can take that step. I don't know, this word in the Greek, immediately, it means immediately. You can go back in every language and you could study. It means immediately. When they put their faith in Jesus, they were baptized. So here's my question. Have you put your faith in Jesus? Yes. Have you been baptized? Uh, no. I, what's keeping you from immediately following Jesus in obedience to that way? Well, pastor, I don't understand what it means. Here's what it means. It means that when you go under the waters, you're publicly signifying, hey, I've been buried with Christ. My old life is gone. And when you come out of that water, it's saying, and I'm a new creation in Christ. Baptism doesn't save you, but it is an outward sign that Jesus has changed your life and your heart. It's an outward sign of an inward transformation. And it's you publicly declaring that you're a follower of his. Jesus did it. He was baptized. And then he called his followers to be baptized. That should be enough reason for you there. Well, pastor, I didn't bring any clothes today. What about my hair? Don't worry about any of that. We have hair dryers, I think. We'll get one if we don't. Uh, we have, a, we have uh, clothes, an extra set of clothes for you. We have t-shirts. We have towels. I want to I challenge every one of the reasons why you're going to sit there today having put your faith in Christ and not be willing to take that next step. There are people that are taking that next step this morning and you can go now. If you're getting baptized with us this morning, you can stand to your feet and let's celebrate with them as they go. And here's what I'd love to, I'd love to say. What I'm going to say is that's the beginning of those that are being baptized because I'm believing today that God's spoken to some of your hearts and today's the day that you're going to immediately stand up and follow God in obedience and be baptized. Don't let anything get in the way of that because it's you publicly declaring that you follow him. So at any point in time between now and when we're baptizing the last person, if you feel it's time for you, you can get up out of your seat. You could walk in the foyer, meet someone there. We'll give you shirt. We'll give you clothes. We'll give you everything you would need to make this decision. We saw at least five or six people last service alone that just stood to their feet and they went out. In fact, we saw a whole family that decided to get baptized. Say, you know what? It happened there. Today's the day for us. Praise God. Is today the day for you? If you've not yet followed the Lord in that way, we're going to keep baptizing until the last person's ready to take that step. So continue to sing along, worship with the Lord. You could stand to your feet if you'd like to, uh, but let's enter into worship. Let's prepare ourselves, and we're moving now into our time of baptism. So hang tight until we see you in a few minutes.